1: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Friday, October 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. And coming up on today's show, we have some fantastic guests that are going to join us, including Army veteran, although he is still serving in kind of a unique way, Jason Justice. He's the founder of Justice Brands. They make moonshine. He's also the co-founder of the Brewer, Vintner, and Distiller Network, which is basically a free resource for people who are looking to get into making beer, wine, or spirits, whatever the case may be. He's also, yeah, there's a lot of also's with this guy. He's also the founder of the Veteran Alcoholic Beverage Competition, which is going to take place in just uh, about a week from now. Not this weekend, but next weekend down in San Antonio, Texas. And essentially, it's bringing together hundreds of different brands created by veterans, affiliated with veterans, going to bring musicians in for this thing. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing time. So we wanted to talk to him about that. And it sounds like it's something that he might expand and maybe move to some other places in the near future from what I've been hearing. So we're going to talk to Jason Justice about all that coming up in a little bit. And then we will welcome back to the show Christina Keenan from the VFW. You may remember her because her story is pretty fascinating. She actually came to the VFW while studying in France. Did you know they had VFW posts overseas? Well, they do. And she actually became the uh, commander of... The Post in Paris, France. She was studying over there uh, and and was invited to a meeting by a Vietnam veteran who was one of the professors at her school and fell in love with the organization and now is working for them in Washington, D.C. So we'll talk to her about the latest and greatest that the VFW is dealing with in our nation's capital. So, yeah, pretty full Friday. There's some alliteration for you here on The Morning Briefing. Of course, we start off the morning briefing each day with a discussion of the veteran news. Sometimes with a discussion of what's going on in our lives as well. But, you know, today, not too much. It's a Friday. That's good. Big MMA fights this weekend. I'll be watching uh, Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov take on each other, along with all the others that are going to be on there. And I just was looking. Oh, man, it looks like my. uh, 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 Oh, no oh no, my computer seems to have locked up on me. That's a problem. Well, I know the story that I wanted to talk about anyway, and it has to do with the state of Wisconsin. We've talked to a senator from the state of Wisconsin right here on this very show before, that, of course, being Senator Tammy Baldwin. They have something going on out there in Wisconsin that is interesting, and I'm starting to wonder if this might be something that would work in other locations as well. What is it? Well... The military version of the CDL, you know, the the commercial driver's license that allows you to be an over-the-road trucker and drive those extra-large vehicles. The state of Wisconsin's Department of Transportation, oh, oh, there's my computer. Now it opened up, uh, is now going to start waiving the required tests for the civilian version of the CDL for those who earned the military's version. And their reasoning behind saying uh, that they're doing this is... They say that the training that you receive in the military for our military version of the CDL is actually tougher training than what you get on the civilian side. So Governor Scott Walker announced yesterday in Wisconsin that active duty and recently discharged members of the armed forces will be able to quickly obtain that license because they're going to waive the knowledge test. So you're still going to have to demonstrate it. They're not getting rid of all the requirements but you're not going to have to sit down for the, the printed test or uh, the digital test. I mean, the last time I had to get anything done with a driver's license, it was all touchscreen when I got my, uh, my motorcycle endorsement. But what do you think? Is this something that we could see nationwide? Is this something that we could see uh, federally implemented? I think there's some roadblocks to that, which is kind of appropriate for this story about driving. But I think the biggest roadblock is when you get your driver's license – You get it from the state. You know what I mean? You don't get your driver's license from the federal government. It's a state-issued thing. It's one of those things that states control. They have different requirements. I mean, you have to get your license switched over if you move to a new state uh, with your address on it and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any kind of nationwide, like, federal version of the commercial driver's license. But if there is or if there isn't, maybe they could create one. This would seem to be the type of program that would make sense on a wider basis. Because if that's true, that you actually receive better training for a commercial driver's license in the military than you do in the civilian world, well, then why wouldn't you allow them to waive the written exams and just demonstrate that they're able to do it? It makes sense to me. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. And again, the biggest roadblock is uh, the DMV or the MVA in the state of Maryland where I live now. Uh, They control everything on a state-by-state basis. I don't know. Do you think that there is a way that maybe Congress could enact something that would require states to to accept that? I kind of wonder. I mean, they were able to do that with uh, speed limits. You know They would cut off federal funding if states didn't uh, set a speed limit or didn't keep the speed limit within the parameters uh, that the federal government set. Uh, would they do that for this? Probably not. I mean, this isn't as big a deal as speed limits, but the trucking industry is uh, – it's a big industry. You ever drive on a highway? What do you see? Trucks. There you go. It's all the research you need to do. It's a big industry out there, and there are a lot of veterans who would qualify with their military licenses for – over-the-road trucking. So why not make that a little bit smoother process? Again, not just giving people a benefit, not waiving all of the things, but just not making them sit down and take the written test. Kind of reminds me of when I was going to college and joined the college radio station. There was a one-semester course that you had to go through before you were allowed to to go on the air at the radio station. It's like a training class, one hour a week, basically. Uh, the people who ran the radio station, two uh, radio and television professionals, basically said to me we're sorry we know that you could probably teach this class but uh, everybody's got to go through it so you know in that case it would have been nice if i didn't have to go through it but i you know wouldn't have looked good in this case it's not out in the open it's not like you know people are standing in a line and you'll just pull the military members up to the front. You would just waive that written exam, and I think it would be a good idea to, to look at any possibility of, uh, of taking care of that in the federal or nationwide level. It might not be easy, and it might not be possible, but that's okay. We can still look into the difficult and impossible. You know, doesn't mean that you, you just give up on it just because it's difficult, right? Speaking of giving up, it looks like the Alaska Veterans Court Program has given up on Track Palin. That's the 29-year-old son of former Governor Sarah Palin. He's an Army veteran and was just arrested again recently uh, on charges of fourth-degree domestic violence assault, interfering with the report of a domestic violence crime, resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct. It's essentially the same thing that he was charged for two years ago, it also involves the same woman. Sounds like it might be a bit of a toxic relationship there. So, uh, you know, eh, that is what it is. Sometimes people just can't get away from each other. Um, the Veterans Court, he was in the program. He was making his way through after uh, another domestic violence case that stemmed from an assault on his father in December of last year. So, you know, we're talking 10 months ago. The guy's been arrested three, four times in the last Uh, you know, three years, basically two years. And that's not a good situation. And these veterans courts are set up to essentially um, allow you to uh, defray the sentence that you might get and kind of uh, help you along. And they take into account that Uh, For many that have seen combat, for many that have been in horrible situations, traumatic situations, it, it can have an effect on you and it can affect your behavior. Is it an excuse for everything? No. Is it an explanation for some things? Yes. So essentially he was in this veterans court program because he pled guilty in June to one misdemeanor count of criminal trespassing in the first degree. You have to plead guilty to at least one charge against you. So he pled guilty to that. They got rid of the other charges. It looks like. And then, uh, if he completed the program, he would serve only 10 days in jail as opposed to, you know, six months or whatever else he might've served. Of course, there are conditions and stipulations that must be met. And this most recent domestic violence arrest, uh, was the the last straw for the judge. And the judge said, I'm sorry, and I wish this hadn't happened. I'm very sad that it happened, but we're going to have to remove you from the veteran veteran program. So he's going to have to face the remainder of his sentence um, in jail, the original sentence, the one that he was in the veteran program for that was going to be dropped down to 10 days. Now he's going to have to serve the full time there. He has to turn himself in on October 31st it's one of those interesting things. 26 days from now, that's a long time. I never understood why they sometimes give people so much time before reporting to prison. Doesn't seem like a great idea. Seems like something that might allow people to, to make a break for it, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, and it makes me think of when it wasn't one of the uh, real housewives or one of those people. They were tr- tax charges or something her and her husband, and it was, like, announced when they were going to go in, and the media was covering the SUV leaving their house. I think it was in New Jersey, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember for sure, but, eh, why not? Who cares? I don't watch any of those shows. I'm just aware of them because of uh, the coverage of them, which is a lot of coverage. And that's the other thing about this case. Track Palin is, to an extent here, and not, not in regards to the charges, but to some extent... He's a victim of of who his family is when it comes to the media attention that this has gotten. Things like this happen around the country on a daily basis hundreds of times, I would say, if not thousands. Uh, At least, I would say, probably a, a hundred or so with a veteran every day, you know? Who knows? There's a lot of this stuff going on. It's unfortunate. However, most of those veterans who are involved in these things, and I really shouldn't throw out any random numbers without statistics, but you know what I'm saying? It happens. This is not an isolated incident. This is not the the, the only case of this. It is the only case where the veteran involved is the son of the former governor of Alaska and former vice presidential candidate which of course leads to that giant microscope being put on him and I don't think that's something he particularly wants or is sought out. If you think about Track Palin what do you know about him? You know, he's been arrested a few times, and for me, that's about it. I can tell you a little bit about the rest of the family. I can tell you about the daughters, you know, Bristol, and I can tell you about I, the, the dad, Todd. I mean, they've been on TV. They've kind of sought out the spotlight, spotlight in one way or another. Trek has not. I honestly don't know anything about him other than the fact that he is an Army veteran. He is the son of Sarah Palin, and he is... Uh, apparently having some issues and has been arrested a few times, whether it's related to his military service or not. I don't know. I do know that this media attention on it cannot be helping the situation um, at all. And I do know that he has, of course, now been removed from the veteran court program. So when we have the discussions about veteran courts and whether they're giving some sort of special treatment to veterans that may not be deserved, You got to remember, it's not a guaranteed thing. It's not like you go into the veteran court and all of a sudden they're like, well, not guilty because he wore the uniform. That's not that. He had to go through a program that involved mental health counseling and several other things. And, um, you know, he was, I guess, doing well in it from what I've read and some of the stories that are out there online, uh, but got arrested again recently, again for domestic violence, again involving the same. Uh, woman that he was involved in an incident with a couple of years ago. And then, of course, as we just mentioned, assaulted his father about, about 10 months ago, last December. It's just not a good situation. And again, that media spotlight because of who he is is not good. And some of the things that people are saying because of who his mother is also not helping the situation and also kind of showing uh, what jerks people can be. And how negative they can be. Like, oh, yeah, you know, this is this is what kind of child a uh, Sarah Palin ran. and stop it. Stop it. This is a guy who has some problems. This is a guy who, yeah, he did serve in uniform and from everything I've heard served honorably. And he's had some issues after he got out. Issues that it doesn't appear he had before he went in. So it could be related. But, again, people using it for political reasons. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, this is what happens when your mother's some awful Republican, and blah, blah, blah. I've seen that on social media, and it's not helping anybody. I mean, maybe it's making people who post things like that feel better about themselves. They feel like they're making a difference by being a jerk, but I really wish that there was a little bit less of that. And by a little bit less, I really wish that there was none. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see people not throwing the political garbage out there, particularly when it comes to the issues of an individual who, uh, through no fault of his own, happens to be related to someone you disagree with politically. Uh, Not a good look for anybody involved there. But, you know, hopefully he finds the help that he needs. Uh, It's looking like he might do some more time uh, after being removed from the veteran corps, but we'll see. We'll also see about some pretty good stuff going on at universities around the country. Yeah, how about the University of New Mexico? You ever heard of them? The Lo- are they- They're the Lobos, right? Yeah, University of New Mexico Lobos. They're prioritizing veterans for university jobs. So they've put out a press release essentially saying the University of New Mexico values the skills and experience of military veterans, and as one of the state's largest employers, the university wants veterans to know they have priority when it comes to employment at University of New Mexico. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Basically, any eligible position that you qualify for, uh, if you elect to uh, uh, basically seek out that job and put that you are a veteran, excluding contract staff classification. So I think that has to do with uh, contracting professors and things like that. But if you apply, you are given uh, a bit of uh, preferential treatment, shall we say, which when it comes to getting a job, hey, take it when you can get it. So here's how you do it. You qualify for the program. You have to have received an honorable discharge from the military. And then you apply to an eligible position via their website, which is UNM Jobs. Submit a complete application, meeting all the requirements and all that stuff, as indicated in the job posting. Then you apply prior to or no later than the four best consideration dates stated in the posting. So if it says, oh, thanks, Zach, good morning. Uh... If it says basically that you have to do it by October 20th, don't do don't be putting in your uh, application on the 21st. You've got to meet the minimum qualifications. Again, elect participation in the veteran preference program as asked per a brief questionnaire appearing in the application. And then attach a DD-214 form to the application that displays, of course, all the things that a DD-214 does. And if you do that, you will be given priority for jobs. So if there is another applicant who's just as qualified as you, guess what? You're getting that job, not that other applicant. So, again, a good thing. And it's optional. You don't have to do it. And I know there are people who don't like doing things like that. They don't like taking any sort of benefit just because they served in uniform. That's fine. That's up to you. But if you want to, (laughs) you can click on there. Just like the free pancakes. You want the free pancakes at IHOP or Denny's or whatever on Memorial Day or Veterans Day? Guess what? You do it or you don't do it. I don't need pancakes, so I'm not getting any free ones or paid ones. I haven't eaten a pancake in a very, very long time. Even when my wife and son make them, I'm like, no. No, I already eat poorly enough. I'm not going to add sugar cake for breakfast into there. The president of the University of New Mexico is Garnett S. Stokes. Ooh, that's a name. That sounds like, that sounds like a bad guy in an old Western. Garnett S. Stokes. The president of UNM has identified supporting a veteran-friendly campus as a major priority of her office. So in addition to that program, they've offered specialized training to faculty and staff to better serve the behavioral health needs of the student veterans. Well, some student veterans have behavioral health needs. Some don't. I mean, I, I went to college for four years. I showed up every day. I did what I was supposed to. I never got into any fights or arguments. I defrayed. Uh or defrayed. I guess that's more with costs. I uh diffused a couple situations. It could have turned violent. But uh, you know, there are certainly veterans who have uh issues, behavioral health issues. I guess it's good that they have that uh that training for faculty and staff. But that could lead to the situation that I think some of us worry about where someone hears you're a veteran and they, they're like, oh geez, well, let me uh let me refer to my guidebook here on how to talk to a veteran. You talk to a veteran the same way that you talk to anybody else. The special talk for veterans is between veterans because we know things about each other upon meeting each other typically that we can discuss. But uh, you do worry about that when they're given at a school like training to better serve the behavioral health needs of veterans. What are my behavioral health needs? How could you possibly know that? I don't really have any. I'm going to show up and do my thing and do it right. Eh, is what it is. But Uh, This is really good. So, yeah, UNM Jobs is the website. Uh, You can also just Google UNM Jobs, and you'll probably see the press release that I'm looking at here that just came out yesterday. You'll know it because it has one of those fantastic stock photos of a soldier. He's wearing an Army uniform that has no unit patches, no name tapes, no rank. I love those because they can't use an actual uniform. They're not allowed to because then it looks like, uh, the military is endorsing the program, and that's not something the Department of Defense does. Still, those photos, it just looks ridiculous. I mean, you look at the photo, and it's a, a young woman and a gentleman. She's leaning on his arm. Looks like maybe they're, they're uh, involved in a relationship of some sort. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this photo. But he's wearing the ACU, and it's got nothing on it except for those Velcro <laughs> spots where you would put everything on. It looks like a case of stolen valor. That's what the photo on that website looks like. It looks like a case of stolen valor. You know what I should do? I should reach out to UNM and let them know, like, hey, you know, you can go to Divids and you can actually find photos of military members and you would probably be able to use it because they're not trying to make money off of this. It's it's announcing a service to veterans. And again, here, if you're watching on Facebook, I'm gonna let you look at the photo of this gentleman. Oh, look at that ACU. Look at that uniform. <laughs> Tell, tell me it doesn't look like that's the guy who's uh, trying to walk around and get free pancakes on Veterans Day without ever having served. He's in uniform. Not only that, it's clearly a model because look at that face. He's got a goatee. He's got the same facial hair that ConnectingVets.com's Phil Briggs has, which is unacceptable. No one should have a goatee like that unless you happen to be a relief pitcher for a 1990s baseball team. Yeah, Rob Dibble in the house. Now, I got to put this camera back down. That's what happens when you pick it up. But yeah, it's one of those interesting things. And again, that's the kind of things that veterans pick up on. Guy in an ACU, nothing on it, no rank, got a goatee. Good looking fella, clearly a model, maybe a veteran. I don't know. He could be. But how many people are walking around in their ACUs? I've worn the ACUs that I was issued uh, prior to going to Afghanistan post service once to go hunting because it was the only camouflage thing that I had and I wasn't going to go out and buy a $200 uh, outfit like nah the army gave me some stuff that'll blend in pretty well with all those plants and trees and stuff the geese will never see me coming the Taliban couldn't see me coming so I'm pretty sure the Canadian geese won't either <laughs> oh my god so yeah I highly recommend checking out UNM jobs uh, it would be uh, behoove you if you're looking for work in education check out other institutions too there are a lot of uh, veteran options on there in fact every job that I've applied for since I got out of the military had that little veteran box on it and I always check it off you know I mean you don't have to you don't have to disclose that just like you don't have to disclose you know disabilities or whatever I mean it, it's up to you but I don't know if it helped me I think in in the cases of the jobs that I got the people knowing me uh, and actually getting to meet me before I applied for the jobs, that helped more than anything. That networking—that's the biggest key. And then, of course, having your, uh, uh, having your all your ducks in a row and having a good resume and all that. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do that can help you get a job. But if they've never met you before, maybe clicking on that box helps you get the job. You do. You do worry occasionally, though. You know, when we look at something like that, University of New Mexico posting, which fantastic program. Glad that they're doing that, but. Again, they, they were sure to point out how all of their staff have been trained to, to deal with veterans behavioral health issues. Well, what does that mean? Why are you assuming that we all have behavioral health issues? Some of us do. we were just talking about one up in Alaska It's now been removed from the veteran court system if you're tuning in a little late. Um, you do I guess you could worry about you know checking off the veteran spot on an application and that might be uh, a red flag to somebody. there are those who view us in that way. It's unfortunate. But it's true, and, you know, not going to grandstand and scream about how awful those people are. They're wrong, and it's our job to prove to them how wrong they are. Like, for example, before I worked here while I was still working in, uh, in radio in New York, I was looking for other jobs because the schedule in New York just didn't work out great for me and I didn't get to spend weekends with my family, which is very important to me. Um, you know, I applied for some jobs and some for, like, NPR, and you wonder... I mean, we all know the political leanings of whatever broadcast uh, units out there. You wonder, if you're clicking that veteran thing for uh, an NPR, an MSNBC, or someone who has that uh, liberal reputation, let's say, is that going to be looked at negatively? Officially, of course, it can't be, but in reality, you wonder, you don't know. So I understand both aspects. I understand people who want to click off the veteran, check off the veteran uh, box on the application or don't. But at University of New Mexico, they really want to hire veterans. They're giving them priority for all jobs except for contract staff jobs, Uh, all regular staff jobs. That's there. UNM jobs is where you want to go. Uh, And maybe also let them know that they should change the photo on their uh, news release about that from the goateed model in the ACU. All right, you're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Coming up next, Jason Justice, founder of Justice Brand. They make moonshine. He's also co-founder of the Distiller, Brewer, and Vintner Network, and he founded a beverage competition that's taking place in San Antonio in eight days. We're going to talk to him about that and find out what's going on down in San Antonio. Morning Briefing, back after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing from Entracom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we're doing. And we're doing it through a variety of platforms. If you're listening to this, you obviously know about our podcasts and radio stream and all that good stuff. But we also have articles available on the website, and we also have videos available on Facebook and other social media. We've got photos going out every day. So you want to check out what we're doing on all platforms, and you want to do it now. We are connectingvets.com, and on social media, you can find us at connectingvets. So give us a little click on your mouse or tap on your phone, and you'll be that much closer to living your best veteran life. Kind of like our next guest. His name is Jason Justice, and he is an Army veteran who's gotten into a very interesting industry that being the adult beverage industry through his line of moonshine as well as a network of distillers and brewers that he's created. We've actually talked to him about that before. And coming next weekend, the Veteran Beverage Festival of 2018. He's the man behind that as well. And he joins us now. Jason, good morning. How are you today?
0: Morning, Eric. How's it going?
1: It's going pretty well, and I understand it's going pretty well, but pretty busy for you as you prepare for the beverage festival. But before we talk about that event, let's just talk a little bit about Jason Justice. Of course, as I mentioned, serving in the United States Army before getting into the alcohol industry. Tell us a little bit about your service you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving in the Army.
0: Well, you know, my father was a career man like his father before him, so it just seemed natural that. I followed in their footsteps and, and joined myself, so I wanted to enlist when I was 17, but my dad said, no, you're going to go to college, and I'm going to pay for that first year, and I ended up getting a scholarship to Texas A&M and got into the ROTC program and graduated as a second lieutenant in 2009, and right after that, about six months later in 2010, I was on my way to Tikrit to in Iraq, and I did my first combat tour there. I was actually injured in April of that year and ended up meeting my wife, coming back here to the States. And now I've got a distillery here in South Texas, and I put together these uh, statewide events for the alcohol industry and veteran transition networks.
1: Of course, coming from a military family with uh, amazing service, particularly by your grandfather, who joined the right service. He served in the United States Navy. He was a chief petty officer, (laughs) a corpsman, served in Korea and Vietnam. So really a long line of sailors and soldiers in your background going back to your grandfather. Of course, it comes time for you to get out. What do you remember about that time in your life? What do you remember about the day where you're realizing this is the last day I put the uniform on?
0: Well, you know, I actually, I'm still in. So I go once a year. I'm in the Individual Mobilization Augmentee Program, and it's, it's available to senior enlisted and, and uh, field-grade officers. So that's, that's what I am. I'm a captain sitting in a major slot at a transportation brigade, and what we actually do is uh, all of the East Coast and Gulf Coast ports, we coordinate all of those moves with the 5th and 7th Navy Fleet. Uh, so I go in once a year, usually for hurricane season preparation, and so I, I still get to play the uh, the uniform game, but not full time like I used to. And it's it's a little bit different. They they see me as a different type of an asset now because I have uh, you know a multitude of skills, uh, not just limited by my military service time, but my networking, my planning, and and execution that I've done over the years with multiple things inside and outside of the military. So I, I'm one of those kind of uh, on the fence type soldiers that gets to use, you know, a, a full gambit of knowledge. And I'm not just so institutionalized. I, I I can see a big picture inside of their big picture as well.
1: Of course, your family having served in the military and you now working within the spirits and liquor industry, there's actually a tie to that too, going back to that grandfather that I mentioned. Of course, it's going to be the sailor who started developing moonshine. He worked off and on as a moonshiner for like 20 years or so, right? Uh, was it something that you always knew about or when did you find out about the family's connection to the, the moonshine industry?
0: I found out when I was about eight years old and we did a actually a, like a family road trip back to uh where my grandfather had grown up and took us out in the woods showed us where where stuff was made how they had the barrels set up out there where the stills were and there were still you know pieces of metal out there from from the old tanks there was broken mason jars and and stuff like that And, and actually getting to walk the trails that he walked when you know he was a teenager as as a as a child it was very surreal and and just like you know Painted this fantasy in my mind about it, and and it's very romanticized. It's very deep in Americana. And being influenced with that vision at a young age, I just always knew I was gonna, I was gonna do something with it, down the line.
1: And of course. We're talking to the creator of Justice Label. This is a uh, a whiskey brand. It's moonshine whiskey that you've made. 90 proof, very smooth, all that good stuff. When did you decide that that was going to be the industry that you got into after leaving active duty? Was it something you'd been considering for a while? Is it something that came to you after you got out?
0: So I I had been considering doing firearms or alcohol industry, and I was actually, I was working on my master's of business administration, and I started looking at both industries in my first year, and then I I just started focusing on uh, the alcohol industry. I was actually studying Diageo uh, PLC. It's a large, large company. They started out owning Guinness, and now they own the majority of liquor and beer brands around the world. Uh, they're one of the largest holders, uh, followed by Brown Foreman, and and really that was kind of the kicker that pushed me and said, I need to do this over everything else, not just because of uh, the money in it, but because I had a passion behind it and a, and a family history behind it.
1: And as I mentioned earlier, you did help create a network of brewers, distillers, and vintners. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why that was important for you to do after getting into the liquor industry through the Justice Label Moonshine that you created.
0: So getting into the industry myself, it it was very difficult. I I met a lot of roadblocks and and walls and just not a lot of people out there that would help you. Uh, Any help that was there, I, I felt that it was very overpriced for what I would get out of it. And I simply couldn't afford it. I I bootstrapped my business with $25,000. So I I relied heavily on creating relationships and networking with people in the industry. And it was still very difficult because I was an outsider. You know, nobody wants to talk to the new guy. So I actually, I met with another veteran brewer, uh, George Rice. He's down in Mission, Texas with 5 by 5 Brewing. And we just kind of started leaning on each other, even though we were in two different, sectors in the same industry. Uh, We had enough in common that we could help each other and and exploit each other's networks to get ahead where we needed to get ahead. And then finally, at the beginning of of this year, we just said, you know what, we need to do this for more people in our industry because there just isn't a resource like this. There's nowhere that we can go and and say, hey, what's a good formula? What's the best equipment to buy? Who do you buy your glass from? That kind of stuff. So we created the Distiller, Brewer, and Vintner Network, which we started doing a monthly publication. It, it's free, and from there, it just kind of started taking off, and we've got, we're got we growing every day. I think we're up to almost 1,000 members now, and they're all owners and uh, manufacturers of spirits, wine, and beer all across the world, actually.
1: Is it something that you would recommend, particularly like that free newsletter for maybe the veteran who's sitting out there thinking about getting out or just about to get out or just got out and thinking, you know what, I know a little bit about alcohol and that sounds like an industry I might enjoy working in. Would you recommend that they reach out to you guys and 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 sign up for that monthly newsletter?
0: Oh, absolutely. We've actually helped uh, several veterans get established or grow their, their existing business. Uh, Willie Reed with Medusa Meatery up in Pennsylvania. And there was also Jordan Serelnick. He started Seven Sirens Brewing just because he was reading our stories. He knew he wanted to do it. And then he said he finally dug in and, and, and said, how, how do I get funding? How do I get permits done? And, you know, it, it was a, a huge resource for him. And he's been a very, very big advocate for everything we're doing because of how it's impacted his, his life and getting him to his dream.
1: We're speaking with Jason Justice. He's an Army vet, actually, still serving in a kind of unique capacity there. But he's also serving as the founder and CEO there of Justice Label Moonshine. He's also the co-founder of the Distiller, Brewer, and Vintner Network. And you've also got a pretty cool event taking place uh, just coming up about a week from now in San Antonio, Texas. That being the Veteran Betteridge the Veteran Beverage Festival 2018. Tell us about this event and where the idea for it came from.
0: So it all started when I started receiving these letters in the mail about spirits competitions. So I, I didn't know a whole lot about it being new to the industry. And for me, it, it, I just couldn't afford a whole lot of them because it was like $600 just to enter your product into one of these competitions to get it evaluated by people I've never heard of to maybe get a, an award, you know? So it didn't, it didn't jive a whole lot from me for, from a business sense. And so I started researching it and digging in and saying, you know, what, what is behind a lot of these, what do they do? And talking with other industry members, I I found that they, they kind of had the same opinion that I had where, where they were very pessimistic about them uh, as far as their value to the industry and what they were doing. So I said, why why don't I do something on my end that makes it better, you know, that that does what everybody says that these things are missing. So they were always missing exposure. Like, you would enter these competitions, nobody would know about it, unless you won something, and then you yourself went out and, and said, hey, look, I won this medal. Uh, so so that was a part that we, we we fixed. And then the people that grade them, you know, they, they'd never been heard of, or they were just like local celebrities to wherever the competition was going on. So we said, let's fix that too. And so we we reached out to the CEOs of a lot of the veteran-owned companies out there, like Rally Point, Salty Soldier, uh, a bunch of the apparel companies and, and and other breweries and distilleries as well. We've got like Clayton Hitchman coming in from Alabama from Black Patch Distilling. And he's a, uh, a special forces guy that, that lost his leg uh, during his time of service. And now he's, he's doing all kinds of stuff running for public service and, and owns a distillery with his dad and, and his wife manages it. And just getting these people to come in and do an actual – competition that was transparent where we said here's the scorecards everybody can see it we made it affordable you know it was uh hundred dollars per entry and we didn't care if it was beer wine or spirits we said we're going to do all three and it's just been great i mean for a first year competition we have over 230 entries so that that's serious uh you know market penetration for something that's never been heard of. And and it just tells me that what we're doing, we're on the right track. And so these judges will come in, grade these beverages on a a scale. We give them awards. And not only that, the judges will go back to their audiences and say, here's the top picks from the veteran beverage competition. And that that in itself is a great value for all of our participants because it shows, number one, that they – You know, they're supporting the veteran community, they're they're getting involved with stuff that we're doing, and it gets them exposure to the veteran community as well, and as we know, veterans are all over the United States and all over the world, so really we added those value pieces that we're missing from other competitions.
1: When it comes to the event itself, is it just for the brewers, distillers, and vintners, or is this something that, like, you know, public who are interested in going to and checking out these, uh, you know, these companies, these veteran-owned businesses, these veteran-created uh, spirits? Is is it open to everybody?
0: So, so it's kind of funny how this thing grew. So, we we were just doing the competition at first, and we were just going to fly these judges in and, and have them grade these spirits. And then, as I'm talking to these people, you know, they said, "Well." Why don't we do something else with it? Why don't we make it a public event? Can we make it a beer festival? And it, and it was just me talking to some of the some of the judges, the CEOs, and trying to trying to see what else that we could do. What was within our our power, our budget, and our time that we could put together? And you know, I was I was going to do it in in Dallas, and then we ended up finding a venue in San Antonio, and we said this is it. It's within our budget. We can pull it off. Let's do it. Let's see what we can fit in there. So then we started reaching out to other organizations for assistance. So we found Oath, the Outdoor Association for True Heroes and Operation Phantom Support. And those are our two beneficiaries this year. They're, They're veteran nonprofits doing a lot of good things for veterans transition services and first responders and their families. And They were 100 percent on board they thought it was an awesome idea so they they started helping out with putting together the the beer festival making sure that we had volunteers to run run the tables and all of the things that go into planning an event and then i was started getting approached by other organizations as it grew uh redcon one national car club they reached out and said hey can we do a car show at your event and i was like of course we've got nine acres and 55,000-square-foot uh, building indoors that we can use, absolutely we can do a, a car show. And then the Lone Star Barbecue Society uh, had heard about the event, and they said, hey, uh, we, we do a lot of uh, veteran and first responder fundraisers and cook-offs and stuff like that. Could we assist you with putting together a barbecue competition for this event? So that got added on. And then we've got uh, some of the contestants actually will be coming in and sampling their beverages and selling their beverages at the event. And then we've got a whole health and fitness piece with Make a Vet Sweat. And then we had one of the biggest uh, supplement stores here in Texas, Rock's Discount Vitamins. They, they reached out to us and said, hey, can we get involved with your event? We love supporting veterans. We love the veteran community. So I said, absolutely. Now we've got a, a health and fitness, a trade show, veteran businesses, beer festival, car show and barbecue competition, but that wasn't all. Then I have Adam Berry and Nick Sterling. They're both uh, country artists here in Texas and veterans themselves. They wanted to put on a concert at the event, too. So now we've got a Saturday concert with Adam Berry featuring Nick Sterling and then a Sunday concert with Nick Sterling featuring Adam Berry. And it's it's just grown to something I, I could never have imagined and I could never have done myself. Uh, having a whole business networking piece with the judges where they're going to be speaking about their transition, their journey into what they were doing from their service and being able to sit down with these judges and, and, you know, do a judge's social, have dinner with them, talk with them and, and, and veterans coming in and building their network that way. And we've opened up our, our nonprofits, any veteran nonprofit or transition service, they're welcome to come and set up a booth for free because we we want to encourage that networking, that togetherness that that makes our veteran community so strong.
1: We're speaking with Jason Justice. He is the founder of Justice Label. He is the co-founder of the Distiller, Brewer and Vintner Network and he's the man who got the idea started on the veteran alcoholic beverage competition which is taking place on october 13th and 14th in san antonio did i get the dates right on that i want to make sure that i did jason you sure did. It's from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the San Antonio Event Center. And as I understand it from looking through the website, it looks like people will be able to get in for free. Now, if they want to sample some of the beverages and stuff, they'll have to purchase a cup. But uh, the money that people are spending on the tickets at the event for, you know, entertainment, food, drinks, thing like that, uh, beyond just attending, which is free, that money's going to some pretty good causes, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so it's actually a free free attendance event, like you said. Uh, anybody can just come in off the street and walk around and, and see the vendors. They, they can you know, interact with them, buy stuff from them. But if you want to consume any alcohol, we, we verify age and you could buy $2 drink tickets and all the proceeds for the $2 drink tickets go directly to our benefactors, Operation Fam Support and Oath. And not only that, we've got Combat Veteran Motorcycle Association out of uh, Waco, Texas. They're actually going to be raffling off a 2018 Harley Fat Boy, and Oath said, "You know what? We can't we can't let them snatch up all the glory." So they're also going to be auctioning off a 50 uh, 50 uh, Harley Davidson as well. Wow! So it's it's just you know we've got door prizes. Uh, each drink ticket is a chance to win uh, in a raffle drawing. So. There's, there's just a lot going on and, and benefiting a lot of great charities.
1: And as someone who has a Harley-Davidson Fat Boy low, I can tell you that is a big deal. I mean, that one raffle ticket could win you a bike that would cost you uh, quite a pretty penny on the open market. Getting back to the competition itself, how many veteran-owned beverage companies do you have so far that are registered? And if there are any others out there, I I just met a couple guys uh, a week or so ago that started a vodka brand down in Georgia. Uh, is it still eligible for entry into the competition?
0: Yeah, as long as we get the beverages before the twelfth, they can they can make sure uh, you know that it gets rushed, overnight. or some of these people are even coming in uh, for the event. They can they can bring it with them. Uh, just make sure that we're signing up on the datastillcom for the beer and spirits and Enophile online for wine. I just literally had some, some wine entered yesterday from a, a company out of Houston that was also owned by a veteran. So there's still time. I'm, I'm taking phone calls. I'm, I'm walking people through these processes and there's always time to get involved right now. We have just over 30 veteran companies that have submitted a beverage. So, Right there, that, that tells me, you know, we're, we're getting good exposure, good reach to the veteran community. They're hearing about it. They want to get involved. They want to show their, their, their support as well. And it's going to be awesome being able to show off a challenge coin medal because that's what they're winning, uh, a bronze, silver, and gold. And then we've got a couple of uh, popularity choices, you know, Marines Choice, Soldiers Select, and, and those types of awards going on as well.
1: Let me ask you a question. In in creating this event, what was the goal with it? When you first created it, what really did you want to do? If you could sum that up to people in, like, a, a couple sentences, what would you say is the reason behind this veteran alcoholic beverage competition?
0: I wanted veterans to be able to come together in one place and interact with each other and the community at large and their customers. And... By having all of the nonprofits and transition services come together, I want them to strengthen their networks as well to better serve the veteran community and execute their missions.
1: And for people who do decide to attend, the uh, again, the Veteran Alcoholic Beverage Competition, which is taking place in San Antonio, Texas, at the San Antonio Event Center, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, October 13th and 14th. Those who show up, what can they expect out of it overall, Jason? What do you think they should show up ready for?
0: I mean, show up ready for a music concert, uh, you know, smelling great food. There's going to be, we've got a dozen food vendors from the, the local San Antonio area. So there's like a smorgasbord outside to be eating from. There's going to be some, some food inside as well. Uh, and just seeing and getting exposed to all of these veteran organizations and companies and what they're doing and, and try to take away, you know, something I think everybody's going to have something to take away from the event is is really the sums it up because Everybody has something invested in our business or the veteran community or they want to help out, you know, making sure that veterans are getting ahead and getting the support they require. And not only that, showing veterans that they have a lot of support from the local community, you know, that they, they aren't alone. A lot, a lot of us battle that feeling once we get back. And we see it a lot in business as well, where we just try to charge out on our own and we forget that we never did anything alone in the military, you know.
1: That is certainly true, and something that each of us who wore the uniform, uh, we know whether we uh – uh Forget it occasionally or not, we know that that teamwork makes the dream work, as they say. And that's been a big part of what Jason Justice has been doing. Besides Justice label Moonshine, of course, also the co-founder of the Distiller, Brewer, and Vintner Network. If you're interested in getting into the adult beverage industry, you should definitely check them out and sign up for their free newsletter. And also with this Veteran Beverage Festival. The Veteran Beverage Festival takes place October 13th and 14th at the San Antonio, Texas Event Center. Jason, if people want to find out more about you, more about the event, or if they want to register their drink or buy tickets or something like that, where do they go to do so?
0: So, we've got everything online at vabevcomp.com. We're also on social media. So, we've got uh, Instagram, VetBevFest, and also Facebook. They just type in Better and Beverage Festival and we pop up. And you can pop
1: up at the Veteran Alcoholic Beverage Competition and have a chance to win a Harley Davidson in a raffle ticket. You have a chance to check out a bunch of amazing veteran-owned uh, adult beverage companies down there. Great food, music. It sounds like it's going to be a great time, Jason. I wish I could be down there, but I hope you have a great time uh, for me while you're down there. And thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, Eric.
1: You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day and doing it everywhere, including social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So give us a little click on your mouse, tap on your phone, and you'll be that much closer to living your best veteran life. It's Friday, and that means the VFW will be in the house. Christina Keenan's going to join us in just a couple of moments. Morning Briefing, back after this. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is a slogan. It's what we're doing, and we're doing it on social media as well as the website. So be sure to give us a follow. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, know MySpace, and I've asked them to build a GeoCities page, uh, but they say no. They say that's not a thing anymore, but I'm fairly certain that it is. I am 100% certain that if you follow us on social media and check out the website as many times as you can each day, you'll have the information you need to live your best veteran life. Information like what the VSOs are up to in our nation's capital and around the country. We talk to a different one each day of the week and every Friday comes the first VSO that I personally joined, the Veterans of Forum Wars. And this week, we welcome back to the show, the Associate Director for VFW's national legislative service christina keenan christina good morning how are you today
2: good morning i'm great how are you
1: i'm doing pretty well of course you've been on the show before and told us the pretty cool story about how you came to the vfw becoming post commander over in paris france that's where you actually joined and now working at the national office Uh, a quick question before we get started on on what we're going to talk about today some important stuff What was it initially that that drew you to the VFW? And then more importantly, what was it that made you want to keep being a member and then eventually work for the organization?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, as you said, I was living in Paris, France. Um, I actually lived there for 12, 12 years. And it wasn't until, I mean, about five years ago that I learned that there was a VFW post In Paris, I actually had no idea. It was a university professor of mine who was a Vietnam veteran who invited me to a VFW gathering, and I met this whole community of. Um, retired veterans, um, a, a couple World War II veterans which, with incredible stories of Normandy, and, um, and student veterans. And so I, I suddenly discovered this, Ameri- this amazing American community um, in Paris of veterans, which I had been so disconnected from because I had been in Europe for, for such a long time and didn't realize that they were there. So that was initially how I got introduced to the organization.
1: And, of course, now serving as the associate director for VFW's National Legislative Service. And there's a lot going on legislatively that affects the veteran community. Today, we're going to focus on a couple of different points. One of them is very important for those student veterans out there. As you mentioned, when you joined up in Paris, it's because you were studying over in France and Mm -hmm. living over there. If you're in school, particularly if you're going to a private school or an out-of-state school, the GI Bill is not going to cover your full tuition. There are any number of scholarships and programs like the Yellow Ribbon and everything that can help defray Mm -hmm. those extra costs, one of which people need to know about is actually a fellowship, uh, a scholarship that comes from the VFW. Uh, What can you tell us about the student fellowship from the VFW?
2: So the VFW has partnered with uh, student Veterans of America, um, and we have um, created a legislative fellowship um, together with the sVA and so we try to attract students um, whose universities do have an SVA chapter um, and you know e- encourage students who really want to make a difference, um, especially on Capitol Hill with policy. Um, relating to veterans, um, the opportunity to to interact with our staff and with subject matter experts on any number of issues relating to veterans' education or transition um, or any other issues having to do with service members and their families um, and give them really an opportunity to get involved with sort of what we do and advocate for veterans' benefits. Um, And, you know, education is is definitely one one of those big topics.
1: Is this something that takes place during the school year, or uh, or when does it happen? I mean, is it is mm. it during a semester, and how long does it last for?
2: So it's a semester-long uh, fellowship, so it starts in January. We're accepting applications right now. The deadline is creeping up pretty quickly. It's October 12th. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll accept, out of all the applicants, 10 student fellows um, to then work with them starting in January. Um, for that spring semester and even we will fly them to D.C. Um, for our March legislative conference Well, they'll actually have an opportunity to meet with their members of Congress and advocate for you know the, the projects that they've been working on.
1: And this is something where the VFW is not just allowing people to come to Washington D.C. as you said fly them in for the conference but also you guys are covering expenses through this program for those who were selected for the fellowship right?
2: We are. So we'll, we'll cover their travel expenses and hotel and food and that kind of thing for that week long um, conference where they'll interact with um, many of our VFW members who are coming in from all around the country and be part of the legislative process where, where you know, as, as a whole, as a whole organization, we're really pushing for our legislative priorities in that moment.
1: Who's eligible for this fellowship? You said campuses that have an SVA chapter. Do they need to be VFW members as well? And what are the other things that the VFW is looking for in the applicants to be selected as one of those 10?
2: So um, their university should have an active and functioning SVA chapter, um, and then they should be fully registered for um, at least this current semester at their um, accredited university. Um, they should be VFW eligible, and we encourage, encourage those, those students to also join the VFW if they're not already members. Um, and then they provide a, an, an essay about the topic that they would like to research and um, advocate for. Um, so those are sort of the qualifications for our, student, our 10 student fellows.
1: We're speaking with Christina Keenan. She's Associate Director of National Legislative Services at the Veterans of Foreign Wars, better known as the VFW. Christina, you've been in D.C. for a while now. So if one of these people who's out there and thinking, hmm, maybe I want to apply for that program, what do you think they should expect from a semester spent in D.C. working with uh, the VFW on Capitol Hill?
2: Well, I mean... In fact, actually, a lot of the interaction that they will have will be sort of remotely during that semester. There will be different research um, elements. There will be different sort of homework assignments of how to use social media to um, help with their community action plans and to develop and draft a congressional white paper. They will interact with our legislative um, associate directors, some of the other people in our team here in Washington, Um, and then they'll be connected to, you know, whoever... That we know um, within the VA system or um, Department of Labor, Labor that we kind of interact with on a daily basis um, to sort of guide them um, in how they can properly advocate for um, their particular issue.
1: Do you think there's anything in particular that's going to surprise those fellows when they get to Washington, D.C.? Do you think that there's uh, some, some expectations they might have that might uh, kind of be turned on their heads after they get here?
2: Well, I mean, you know, from talking to our previous um, student fellows, they, they seem to be quite um, uh, motivated and excited once they get to D.C. and do start interacting with their members of Congress or their staff um, to see that their physical presence um, and exp- explaining their sort of personal stories of how it, they didn't get certain benefits or they didn't know about certain programs, um, how that really does um, inspire and affect Um, change in in Washington and so many of them actually decide that they want to try to work for veteran service organizations or come to DC and be part of the political process um, simply because of that that experience of being here and advocating for veterans
1: is that what you hope they get out of it maybe that desire to serve whether here or on the local level or or is there something Mm -hmm. more that you're hoping they get out of the program
2: Well, I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, an amazing learning experience for them, and we really hope that, you know, more veterans in general will get involved in um, the political process and advocating for veterans' benefits. A lot of what I do is sort of the grassroots um, advocacy with the VFW. I, I, you know, communicate a lot with our legislative committee members in every single state and really try to use the momentum of our 1.7 million members, including our auxiliary, to, you know, push for things that we're trying to pass um, in Congress. So we really hope that the student fellows will feel that, be part of that, and um, and generally the, the whole organization can kind of benefit from, you know, the, the research and the, the programs that they're really trying to, to get past.
1: Of course, you were just talking about the grassroots efforts of the VFW. I know one of those is, involving the elections that are coming up the midterms are just a month away at this point uh, almost exactly i think there are of course many veterans running for office that's fantastic and important but you know what's Mm -hmm. even more important is veterans getting out there and casting their votes and making sure that their voice is heard what's the vfw doing to try and help get the veteran vote out
2: so, we're, you know, we're really trying to do a big social media push. Um, we're putting out information in our weekly Action Corps to really try to inspire veterans to register to vote, um, encourage their friends and family to vote, to really be in, in part of the, the election process. And also, VFW Posts um, are open to um, hosting t- town hall meetings. Um, they're totally welcome to inviting um, candidates. Preferably from both sides, you want to invite, you know, both candidates um, who are running for um, for Congress um, to come to the post and, and speak, and and give a chance, give them a chance to interact with veterans and hear really what veterans' issues are. Um, so, you know, we always encourage. Um, people to go to our website, vfw.org, to see, you know, really the details of our, our priority goals and, and make sure to communicate those as much as possible because there's, there's so many issues relating to veterans' health care and um, education benefits and, you know, a variety of issues that we really hope veterans will get the word out, um, especially during this really critical um, pre-election moment.
1: Christina, you lived over in Europe for an extended period of time. I have as well. And over there, voting is taken, I think, a little bit more seriously than it is over here. They have much higher turnout rates in most of their elections. Why do you think that is? And why do you think that, you know, veterans in particular should get out there, particularly after having, you know, fought for that right?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, once you do live outside the country or if you've served in the military outside the country, you do have a certain perspective and, um you know, maybe even just a a stronger desire to, um, you know, make your voice heard. I think we understand that service um, is so important and and service can also be um, serving your communities and being part of, um, you know, our election process and having a voice. Um, So, you know, As you said, some people are living outside the country, so there are a lot of resources online, Um, one in particular, the Voting Assistance Program. So you can go to www.fvap.gov if you are a service member or a citizen outside the country and register to vote absentee ballot, which I did many times when I was living abroad. And it does feel good you know, even as an American citizen outside the country, to participate in the election process. It feels good um, to still have a voice in, you know, what what the future of our country is.
1: Those absentee ballots are interesting. Depending on the location, it's either the first voting uh, block that's counted or the last. So it's either going to give people an indication or maybe be the decision makers. So filling out those absentee ballots mm-hmm. is a big Uh, Of course, in the midterm elections, there are several veterans running for office. We're talking to Christina Keenan, Associate Director of National Legislative Services at the VFW. Christina, how does the VFW uh, feel about the chances of getting more veterans into Congress? Do you guys think that's going to be a good thing for the nation at large?
2: I mean, definitely. I think it's it would be um, a good thing because they have that first first-hand experience of being in the military and serving abroad, which can only, um, you know, help to bring additional support to veterans' issues um, and things that we're trying to prove for veterans. So I think definitely that's a positive um, direction, and you know, and I and I hope that we see more of that in the future.
1: I do as well. I'd also like to see some legislative advancement on a number of issues. Of course, that's what the field that you work in over at the VFW. Mm-hmm. What are the big key items that are on the VFW's radar that you think we're closest to maybe getting done?
2: Well, you know, definitely um, an issue that we talked about, um, you know, a few weeks ago on your show was the HR two ninety nine, the Blue Water Navy mm. bill, and you know, this this bill is to um, include. Uh, Vietnam veterans who were serving on ships off the coast of Vietnam, who were very highly likely exposed to um, chemicals such as Agent Orange, many of them are, are experiencing the same ailments as the other Vietnam veterans. So we want to include them um, in sort of the benefits system and make sure that they get the health, um, the health, you know, um, benefits that they desperately need um, now as they're especially as they're aging. Um, And so, but this bill, which passed unanimously in the House, is now stalled in the Senate. And there's sort of some arguments about, you know, how much this is going to cost. The VFW's position is that this is a cost of war. These veterans need to be taken care of. And it's been a a very long time um, that they've been waiting for these benefits. Um, So what we're trying to do is encourage um, veterans and and non-veterans to contact their senators um, to try to get this bill pushed through. Um, And and that's sort of our our main legislative priority for this Congress. We really think that we're, we're really close to getting this passed, and we want to make sure it's done before the end of the year.
1: Did you notice any change uh, as far as the senators are concerned after the VA came out and said that they were not for the Blue Water Navy legislation being passed, essentially uh, saying that, one, it was too expensive, two, it couldn't be verifiably proven because this is, you know, 40, 50 years ago we're talking about now, so Mm -hmm. they can't get water samples. Did that have an effect when the VA came out and said that, or were the senators already concerned about the cost of it ahead of time?
2: Um, this, this was sort of um, a new concern that some senators had about the cost. Um, the, the, health side, the health and the research side, um, I think generally everyone understands that these are sort of presumptive um, cases. And, but the fact that Vietnam veterans who had boots on the ground have, the, have these um, health benefits um, you know, to extend them to the Blue Water Navy veterans seems quite logical. Um, there isn't there isn't concrete evidence even for the Vietnam veterans, but it's still we still see that there there are a lot of high rates of cancer and other other ailments that these Vietnam veterans are having, which are directly linked to Agent Orange exposure. So. You know, regardless, there there is research out there, but you know, it, it may not it may not, you know, appease everybody. Um, but it that doesn't seem to be the biggest concern, um, because these Vietnam veterans, you know, deserve to have those those healthcare benefits. Um, the cost is definitely what is being discussed at the moment. And um you know, we really hope that Congress will, um, you know, <laughs> dig deep and and have the compassion for these veterans who are aging, like I said, and, and desperately need these benefits.
1: And, uh, you know, as Carlos Fuentes from the VFW told us, uh, he said he didn't really mm-hmm. care about the VA's concerns about how they're going to pay for it, because that mm-hmm. is their concern. They don't get to decide on these programs. Mm-hmm. That's for Congress mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and. Is as you mentioned, you know, contacting your your uh, your representatives to let them know uh, how you feel about this. You know, people hear that, but I think oftentimes don't know exactly how to go about doing that. So if someone's hearing that and saying, "Well, I want the the Blue water Navy vets from Vietnam to get the care that they need, how do you recommend they go about reaching out to their representatives? In, in this case, of course, senators are, are who we'd be talking mm-hmm.
2: about. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we make it really simple and easy and quick um, to contact your senators. So on our website, vfw.org, if you click on advocacy, um, you can see that um, you can click on our our Blue Water Navy um, sort of take action, action alert, and you have a sort of pre-written letter um, that gives all the information about, you know, why we're standing for this and what we would like our senators to do. And if you just put in your your zip code, it will send it off to your particular senators. So it literally only takes a minute to do if you go to our website. And, um, you know, encourage really other veterans, -veterans, non-veterans, anyone who cares about veterans' issues and this issue in particular to contact their senators because it really does make a difference.
1: When it comes to those kind of uh, th- those letters that are sent, uh, which as you said, kind of pre pre written, and then your name mm-hmm. gets added onto it, I, there are some people out there who'll go, "Well, does that really work?" I mean, they're going to be able to tell that it's essentially a form letter. Uh, can that make a difference when it comes to something like this? Do you think?
2: Well, so we've sent we've sent out um, emails to our um, our constituents with the VFW and, and even supporters, and so we've already had about six thousand emails and messages go out to um, to senators. So you know, each senator is getting let's say about five hundred emails, and their staff is being flooded with these messages um, all about Blue Water Navy. So you know, the combined effort really does, um, you know, make, make people's ears perk up and, um, and you know, think about, um, you know, what's, what's happening with this issue. Um, so, you know, it, it seems like a small thing, but it, if, if a lot of people do it, it really does add up and people do notice.
1: And that's the key, getting them to realize that there are a lot of veterans who feel strongly about this. And, you know, one way for people to be kept apprised of those things, of course, is joining a VSO, whether they're eligible for, for one or not. I mean, for the VFW, you guys have very specific ele- eligibility requirements. I know I am a member, so I know what it takes for that. Uh, and people can look into that, of course. But do you think that joining a VSO, whatever VSO someone might be eligible for, is really the first step that they should take towards becoming more active? in making sure that veterans' issues are addressed?
2: It's, it's a really great way to get involved. Um, I mean, whether somebody has the time to be really active in the organization or is just sort of a, you know, has their annual membership and is a number, um, those numbers matter when the VFW speaks, you know, comes in and represents, speaks, in front of um, congressional members, um, that one point seven million member um, number really jumps out, and we c- try to stress that you know a lot and and so those are you know voting members vote uh, veterans vote in high numbers as well, so um, you know members of Congress really do um, <laughs> listen to what we have to say and and, esp- and and we work very closely with the other veteran service organizations, so whichever one someone might qualify for or feel very passionate about being part of, I definitely encourage people to join and, and really do their civic duty and be part of the process, I think is really what I want to say to people.
1: And bringing it back to the fellowship that's available, again, to students mm-hmm. who are on a campus mm-hmm. that is uh, an active SVA chapter and are VFW eligible, uh, that's one thing that I, th- I know for a fact that they'll find out because I've really seen it. Uh, on the local level, you might not see that much interaction mm-hmm. with the VFW, American Legion, AMVETs, mm-hmm. and so on. But mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., you guys are all on the same team, basically, right?
2: We do. I mean, we work a lot together and discuss issues that um, – one might support and we might be considering supporting, the more that we support together um, as a veterans community, the more that we can get done. Um, So we we do, um, you know, a lot of us are members of many organizations and we're, you know, all kind of friends and, you know, many of us serve together. So the veteran community in D.C. is very strong and has a very powerful voice.
1: It absolutely does. And of course, Christina Keenan has been our guest. She is the Associate Director of National Legislative Services at the VFW. Christina, if people want to find out more about the organization, find out if they're eligible and then maybe join if they are, where do they go to do so?
2: Uh, Join for the fellowship or for the VFW. For the
1: VFW, and then you know what the fellowship as well.
2: <laughs> so um, at vfw. dot org, um, you can just click on membership, um, or for the student fellowship, vfw. dot org slash student fellowship, and you can learn more about how to apply.
1: And, of course, that is your expenses covered. It's a semester spent in Washington, D.C. Ooh, one last question that I know from being a former student myself is going to come up from everybody who looks at it. Do they get college credits for this fellowship? Does it work that way, or is this uh, just kind of taking a semester break?
2: So many, many universities and colleges will accept, uh, will, will allow um, student uh, credit for the fellowship. If they don't, um, they can, they can um, through, the, through the process of applying, can let us know um, that they would like to get credit for it, and we can actually work. I work very closely um, with administrators of universities to sort of explain the deliverables of this fellowship, and um, often we can get um, the student credit for that, for that semester.
1: Christina Keenan from the VFW, Associate Director of National Legislative Services. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: All right. Have a great day.
2: Thanks. Take care.
1: Taking a look around at one more news story before we go. I wanted to talk about this during the first segment, but the things that we were talking about just kind of stretched on a little bit longer than I expected. There is a nonprofit supposedly, down in Florida, Tampa specifically, called Vet Made Industries. It's an organization that's supposed to be about helping unemployed, disabled veterans. The charity's website says we give work pride and a paycheck. That's according to News Channel 8 down there in Tampa. And their report shows that that actually hasn't been happening at this organization. What they're supposed to do, it's not what they're doing. In fact, it's been shut down for the last five years. Yeah, dating back to 2013, it's been closed. Hasn't done anything to help any veterans. However, during that time, they've still been collecting donations from people. And they've still been making advertisements to then get more donations out of that. This is pretty interesting. So according to tax records... According to the news story, since the year 2010, VetMate collected about $6.5 million in donations by teaming up with professional fundraiser Just Donated Incorporated. Now, $6.5 million, that's not chump change. That's a significant chunk of change. You know what they spent most of it on? Paying Just Donated Incorporated. That's right. The professional fundraising team that they worked with. That to raise $6.5 million. They paid them $5.3 million to get that $6.5 million. Well, I know what you're thinking. You still got $1.2 million there, right? Yeah, they were apparently just using that mostly on advertisements to get more donations and all that stuff. So uh, the guy who runs the program apparently told Channel 8 down there in Tampa, uh, you know, oh, we were shut down because we uh, um, we needed to uh, re- reorganize things and get stuff done, so we're going to... Uh, We're going to make sure that we get that back up and running. But good job by Channel 8 down there and checking this out because it's the kind of story we see far too much of. That brings an end to this Friday edition of The Morning Briefing. Hey, hope you have a fantastic, safe weekend. And until next Monday when we will be back, you stay safe, stay good, and The Morning Briefing will see you in a couple of days.